You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. The astronomer Fred Hoyle remarked in 1948 that, quote, once a photograph of the Earth taken from the outside is available, a new idea as powerful as any in history will be let loose. 24 years later, the famous photograph often called the Blue Marble was taken by the crew of Apollo 17 on December 7th. 1972 at a distance of some 45,000 kilometers from the Earth's surface. Neil Armstrong, in a 2002 interview, was asked to describe the most spectacular sight he saw on his Apollo flight, and he responded that during their approach to the moon, when they were still five to 7,000 miles out, they flew into the moon's shadow. The moon was being, quote, illuminated by the light of the earth. The earth light is substantially brighter than moonlight at the same distance. And because of the oceans, that light is decidedly blue. Armstrong went on to say that he thought it was the most beautiful sight he'd ever seen. The light of the earth. His words caught me by surprise. Moonlight, yes. Sunlight, of course. But... Earthlight? I never even imagined such a thing. And yes, I know that planets in our night sky look suspiciously like stars. Yet somehow, the Earth just seems too earthy to be mistaken for a star. What Hoyle and Armstrong were describing, that feeling of being Earthstruck, was called the overview effect in 1987 by Frank White author and philosopher of space. Once we as a species were able to see our home planet, not from the ground or even from a high altitude, but rather from space, our perspective was fundamentally changed. What we may have known conceptually about our place in the universe now becomes more real when our point of reference has been changed. Space exploration gave us a kind of zooming out of the lens of our vision in a way we'd never been able to before. Now we can think of our readings this morning as a zooming out of our lens too, as an invitation to think of the big picture. In Genesis, we are given an ancient story of creation, yet one so different from others of its own time. Imagine What was before, what is now, the writer encourages us. Before human beings, the earth, the planet, the stars, before all of it. Imagine God, the creator, and the potential for creation that is just pulsating in the presence of chaos. And then imagine 
With purpose and direction, God directs the process from dark formlessness until now something new is being created. At first, light. And from there, more emerges until life appears on the earth. William Brown, in his commentary on Genesis, points out that God does not say, let there be plants. And then at the snap of divine fingers, plants appear. Rather, God, in a word, invites the earth to produce. Let the earth grow grass, plants yielding seed of each kind. And in response to this holy invitation, the earth itself responds, putting forth all varieties of plants. In fact, we see this partnership of creation woven throughout the narrative. Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place so that land will appear. And so it was. The waters and the land participate in this creative process by responding to God's direction for them. And their actions, so to speak, open up the possibilities for life to evolve on earth. The waters produce living creatures and the land brings forth living things of every kind. It's a partnership between the created and the creator, which is a vital distinction. You see, God is working with creation, not against or despite or without it. And notice, too, that God is quite pleased with each step in this evolutionary process. The text says, and God saw that it was good. And that's repeated at each stage. There's an affirmation of God's pleasure in this creative endeavor. We would do well to recognize that there is an existing partnership between God and the created order before, before human beings appear in the story. There's a balance which exists before humanity and as earth responds to the directions from God to flourish. And as God sees the work of creation going on under God's direction, God is delighted at the outcomes. A few verses beyond our reading this morning, human beings finally enter the scene as the ancient writer describes, writing, God created the human. In the image of God, God created him, male and female, God created them. Once humans are introduced into the story, then God commands them to be fruitful and multiply, to hold sway over all the creatures of the earth and to find food in all of the green plants. In other words, God adds us into the existing partnerships, the relationships that are already in place within the created order. We as humans do not exist outside of creation. We don't live above the landscape separate from other living creatures. And again, God sees human beings and declares their creation not just good, but very good. Now our reading in John's gospel, I think can be seen as a musical riff on that origin story in Genesis. In the beginning, when God began to create heaven and earth, Genesis says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, the gospel writer counters. 
Here we find a new perspective on Jesus. The writer zooms out of the picture, so to speak, and sees beyond the earthly Jesus to a universal cosmic Christ, to the divine word present at the beginning, at creation's start. Here in John is a profession of faith of Christ as creator and redeemer. And if we want to add in a bit of Paul to this big picture, Christ the sustainer who holds all creation together. Now let's keep playing off of John's idea a little bit. In the beginning, God created with the spoken word in Genesis. And the creative word revealed in the person of Jesus as an image of the cosmic Christ and. And we, as followers of Jesus, are joined mysteriously and metaphorically in the body of Christ together. So we too, through this metaphorical body of Christ, can be understood as partners in this ongoing creative process begun by God, enacted by creation, embodied by Christ, and now stewarded by humankind. In 2010, Bolivia passed what The Economist described as, quote, the whimsically named Law on Mother Earth. And in it, the government spelled out rights to the earth, to life, to the diversity of life, to water, to clean air, to equilibrium, to that balanced interdependent existence of all the components of Mother Earth, to restoration where human activities had done harm, and to a pollution-free living. Now, the legislation was passed after Bolivia elected Latin America's first indigenous president. And the emerging international rights of nature movement seeks to counter the Western legal framework, which categorizes nature as property. And they've had some success in Ecuador and in India, Australia, Colombia, and New Zealand. In 2014, for example, New Zealand granted the legal status of personhood to the Te Arara forest. And in 2017, to Mount Taranaki and the Wanangu River, pronouncing the river, quote, an indivisible and living whole. The rights of nature movement was articulated in the United States by Christopher Stone. In a 1972 essay, he wrote, called Should Trees Have Standing. Stone, who died earlier this year, sparked a new generation of environmental protection advocates. The rights of nature movement has been led in most part around the world by indigenous peoples who are engaging ancient traditions in modern conservation efforts, effectively utilizing the court system to carve out new protections for the earth. Such efforts to recognize the inherent value of place by granting legal personhood can push us, I think, particularly as people of faith, to consider the ways in which we have let down the earth. How we have wounded our oceans, how we've ignored the plight of our landscapes and injured the health of our watersheds. 
Now I know the vastness of the problems of climate change of an, and of environmental pollution may seem insurmountable to us. I mean, how can we make a difference when the issues are so dire and so overwhelming? I don't have all the answers, but I think we begin where we are by looking at the ground beneath our feet, by acknowledging the watershed here, which sustains life in our little corner of the world, reconnecting ourselves to the land, to the water, to the air, and repenting of all the ways in which we have thought the environment was something outside of us, separate, to be enjoyed or to be plundered, without thought to the web of connections that sustain us and sustain all living things. And then step by step, we begin to reclaim our role as partners with God and as partners with all created life. It begins with us recognizing our complicity, repenting of the wrongs we have been a part of, of changing, committing to change our personal practices. Yes, that's important. But even more important is advocating for our communities to practice healthy environmental stewardship and then demanding change from our government, both local, state, and national. So we raise our voices to promote clean power and renewable energy at the federal level. And we make personal choices to reduce our own dependence on fossil fuels and reduce our own carbon footprints. We support our congregation's creation care team and their environmental stewardship efforts. And at the same time, we assess and expand our own household practices to reduce harm to our watershed. We think big and we act in local ways. It's a both and situation, it has to be. Personal change will never be enough. As people of faith, we're invited by God to participate in the ongoing work of creating a world of health and well-being, of restoration and shalom. We've been gifted with the image of our planet from space. We know our planet is blue, sparkling blue water. The earth is an amazing blue orb and our solar system, and it's a shining blue light illuminating the darkness. As residents of earth and disciples of Christ, let us commit to God's sacred invitation to be co-creators, working alongside God's creative spirit and partnering with all of creation as caretakers of the earth. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.